thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians focus on comfort, and we've noted that many of the things that Paul is associating with comfort are things that we would never associate with comfort, and that's definitely something that we see here in chapter 4. What we're going to be looking at this morning is comfort in trials. We normally never put trials and comfort together, maybe trials and hardship, trials and suffering, trials and something that we don't like, but, but trials and comfort isn't usually something that we see going hand in hand, and so Paul is going to give us five reasons here in chapter four of why we can take comfort in trials. Now, Paul is not going to tell us we should take comfort in trials because they're comfortable, because trials are not comfortable. They're difficult. They're hard. That's why we don't like them. Trials are something that is definitely a hardship in our life. And so our comfort doesn't come because trials are comfortable. It comes from a very different reason. We take comfort in what God can do for us, what God can do in us, and what God can do through us while we're going through that trial. So each one of the five reasons that Paul gives to us for why we can take comfort in trials is going to focus on the reality of what God is doing for you and in you and through you as you go through this trial. So one of the main challenges that Paul is going to give us in this chapter is really where do we place our focus? Are we focusing on all the negative difficulties and hardships and sufferings that the trial brings to us? Or are we going to focus on the positive things that God is doing for us and in us and through us as we go through these trials? Well, let's pick up where we left off last week in verse 8 and see the five reasons Paul gives us for why we can take comfort in trials. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul went through horrible trials. If you remember, as we went through the book of Acts, we saw so much of what Paul had to endure for the sake of the gospel. And here he shares four things that he suffered. But I want you to note as he shares each one of these four things, he also tells us what this suffering and this trial did not do to him. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side. Oh, that was definitely true of Paul. People and things were pressing on him, seeking to crush him. But notice what Paul goes on to say, yet not crushed. God did not allow these things that were pressing upon him and these people that were pressing upon him to crush him. Paul goes on to say, we were perplexed. You know, Paul didn't know everything. He didn't know why a lot of things were happening. He didn't know how things were going to end up. And that perplexity can often bring someone to a place of despair. But Paul goes on to say, but we were not in despair. God did not allow us to get to that place of despair. Even though we were perplexed, God was with us in the midst of it. Third, Paul says we were persecuted. You know, Paul was extremely 
persecuted for sharing the gospel, for sharing it, especially with his own countrymen. And, you know, many people forsook Paul, but one person didn't. At the end of Paul's life, he actually says in 2 Timothy, all forsook me at my trial, but God stood with me. You know, everyone, even people might have forsaken me, but God never did. God was always with me. And that's why he goes on to say, but not forsaken. Because God never forsook me. God was always with me. God was always there in the midst of my persecution. Fourth, Paul says, we are struck down. And this was a very literal reality for Paul. He was struck down with stones. He was struck down with rods. He was struck down with whips. Here was a man who went through extreme torture for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel. But once again, notice when he says, we were struck down. And for most of us, if we were beaten, it would destroy us. But for Paul, he said, but not destroyed. God did not allow the things that struck Paul down to destroy him. There are two main things that, that Paul is wanting to communicate to us in these two verses. First, Paul went through very difficult trials. He had hard times in his life where he was hard-pressed, where he was perplexed, where he was persecuted, where he was struck down. But secondly, God gave Paul everything he needed in the midst of those trials. He was not crushed. He was not in despair. He was not forsaken. He was not destroyed. You know, I want you to notice this for our own lives. God did not keep Paul from trials. You know, oftentimes we feel like, you know, if we're really good Christians, then we will escape difficulty in this life. If we just live for God, trials won't happen. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually says for those who uh, live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Actually, living for Jesus in this world brings more hardship oftentimes. But the thing I want you to realize is, yes, Paul suffered trials, but yet God was with him through it all. When you and I are in the midst of difficulty, when you and I are in the midst of hardship, when we're in the midst of trials, we need to remember this very important truth. And so the first comfort we can have in our trials is that God will give us everything we need to get through it. We serve the God who can do the impossible. There's nothing too big for him, nothing too hard for him. And so we need to recognize when we're in that trial that's too big for us, that's too hard for us, it's not for God. And so he can give us everything that we need to get through it. You need love, God can give it to you. You need strength, you need comfort, you need wisdom, you need patience, you need forgiveness, you need hope. The list goes on and on of the things that we need in the midst of trials, but the reality is God can give all of those things to us. Alexander McLaren, a great Scottish pastor, wrote this about the burdens God bears for us in trials. Not only does God march at the head of the congregation through the wilderness, but he comes, if I might say so, behind the caravan among the carriers and the porters, and will bear anything that any of the weary pilgrims entrust to his care. Oh, dear brethren, if familiarity did not dull the glory of it, what a thought that is, a God that carries men's loads. Is there anything sweeter, greater, more heart-compelling and heart-softening than such a thought as this? How all the majesty bows itself and declares itself to be enlisted on our side when we think that he that sits on the circles of heaven is the God that daily bears our burdens. 
This is something so important to remember. As you go through trials, we serve the God who seeks to bear your burdens. As Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and laden, and I will give you rest. I want to take your burden. So take comfort in the fact that you serve the God who can take care of every need that you have in a trial and get you through it. Paul goes on to tell us another important thing that God does in our trials in verses 10 through 12. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul realized something that was very important, that the suffering that he went through for Jesus and the fact that he responded to that suffering in a godly way, it enabled Jesus to be manifested even more through his life. You know, this Greek word translated manifested means to be made visible, known, or realized. And something that we need to understand is we don't like to go through suffering. We don't like to go through trials. But the reality is, in the midst of that trial, as we respond in a godly way, we have an opportunity to manifest Jesus, to make him visible, to make him known in a way that we never would if we weren't going through that difficulty. You see, the world's looking at our lives. And you know, they're not impressed by the fact that we can have joy and love and patience and peace when everything's going great. Because they think, well, I would have joy, love, patience, and peace if everything was going great in my life. What impresses the world? Well, what, what helps Jesus be manifest and visible all the more is when life's hard. When you're going through the loss of a loved one, when trials hit, when hurricanes come, then all of a sudden you respond with love. You respond with peace. You respond with joy. You respond in those ways. And all of a sudden the world now sees Jesus manifest in a way that they never would when things are going good for you. And they're looking at you even more because they want to see, okay, now how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond now that life's been difficult, now that you're in a trial? And when you respond in a godly way, it's a wonderful opportunity to make Jesus visible to this world that so desperately needs to see him. The second comfort that we can have in our trials is that God is able to manifest himself even more through us when we respond to trials in a godly way. Now, I want to emphasize in a godly way, because just going through trials does not make Jesus manifest through your life. It's only when you respond to them in a godly way. That is when Jesus shines through us. That is when he is made known. That is when he is made visible through our trial and our difficulty. Warren Wearsby, a great pastor and commentator, shares some great thoughts about how Jesus is manifested in our life through trials. He says this, Jesus used the image of a seed to illustrate the great spiritual truth that there can be no glory without suffering, no fruitful life without death, no victory without surrender. Oh, of itself, a seed is weak and useless, but when it is planted, it dies and becomes fruitful. There is both beauty and bounty when a seed dies and fulfills its purpose. If a seed could talk, it would no doubt complain about being put into the cold, dark earth. But the only way it can achieve its goal is by being planted. God's children are like seeds. They are small and insignificant, 
but they have life in them, God's life. However, that life can never be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to God and permit him to plant us. We must die to self so that we may live unto God. When you're in a trial, it's a time to die to self, but everything within us wants to be selfish and wants to have a pity party and wants to look at all the problems. And and this is a time where we seek to die to self so that we can live for God, so that he can be manifest even more in our life. You know, one of the biggest hindrances to responding to trials in a godly way, responding to trials in a way that makes Jesus more known is our own selfishness. That's what hinders us so much. And the reality is, if you respond to trials and selfishness, the thing that's going to be manifest is you and your life and your selfishness. It's not going to be Jesus. People aren't going to see him. They're going to see the ugliness in us, our own sin, our own selfishness, our own problems. But yet that is not what we want the world to see. We want them to see Jesus. And so we have to respond in a godly way to these trials. Paul shares with us the third reason we can take comfort in trials in verses 13 and 14. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Here Paul reveals that the sufferings that he was going through, the trials that he was in, was actually a blessing to the Corinthian believers. He shares their connection. He says they have the same spirit of faith, that God was raising them up together, that God was presenting them together. But even more significant, Paul says, all things are for your sakes. See, Paul recognized something here about trials. They weren't just something that God got him through and could do everything that was necessary to bring Paul through those trials. But trials were also for the Corinthian believers. It was for other people. It was to bless other people. Paul recognized not only did God give him everything he needed to get through his trial, but God is also going to use him to minister to other people as he responds to this trial in a godly way. The third comfort that we can have in our trials is that God is able to use our godly response to trials to bless other people. You know, throughout the Bible, we read of people like Paul who responded so well to trials. They did it in a godly way. It's a wonderful example to us, but yet we didn't see it. We read of it. We're impressed by it, but there's something different about watching someone in person in front of you be an example of responding to trials or any really thing in a godly way. You know, the church world is in desperate need of men and women to be those examples. People want to see it's possible. They don't want to just hear, hey, marriage can be good and rewarding and a blessing. They want to see it lived out. They just don't want to see people say, hey, you know what? You can live for God in trials and you can really uh, be growing through that and bless others. They want to see it lived out. And we have that privilege of saying, you know what? I'm going to be that example that's now a blessing to others because God's going to work through through me and show and reveal it's possible. It's possible to live like this in the midst of a trial. It's possible to bring glory to God. It's possible to do these things and other people need to see that because so often we hear about it, we read about it, but we start to wonder, is that even 
possible today? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm not watching other people do it. And so the church world is so desperate in need of us to be those examples to reveal, yes, it is possible. Warren Wiersbe said this about Paul's statements, all things are for your sake. He says this, all things are for your sakes gives us the assurance that our suffering are not wasted. God uses them to minister to others and also to bring glory to his name. How is God glorified in our trials? By giving us the abundant grace we need to maintain joy and strength when the going gets difficult. Whatever brings grace leads to glory. You know, through my Christian life, I'm sure through yours as well, often I concluded trials are a waste. God, just get them out of my life. Why do I have to go through this? It's such a a waste of my time. It's such a a difficult thing that I don't want. But we need to recognize something here that Warren Wiersbe shares. Trials are not a waste. They're things that God will do in them, not just to bless you and to grow you, but for others. You have this great privileged opportunity to be an example and a blessing to others. And so it's not a waste to have to go through that. People's lives can be transformed and impacted because of it. And ultimately, God can get glory through it. Paul shares with the fourth reason that we can take comfort in trials in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Trials have a tendency to cause us to lose heart because they're difficult, because it's persecution, it's hardship, it's suffering, and and we have a tendency to lose heart in the midst of that. But Paul here gives us some reasons for why he did not lose heart in the midst of extreme trials that he faced. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, is pointing us to what Paul just said right before this statement. He's pointing us back to the fact that, hey, trials have a benefit. God will get you through them. It will impact other people in a positive way. And because of that, I don't lose heart. Because I realize there's this benefit that comes with trials. But notice he shares with us something as well that causes him not to lose heart. He says, even though our outward man is perishing... Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though when we go through trials, the outward, the physical, it perishes, it suffers, it goes through difficulty. And that seems to be what we put most of our focus on oftentimes when we're in trials. Paul wants us to realize, but there's something else. Yeah, the outward suffering, but the inward man, the spiritual life, that's being renewed day by day. By day, there's something wonderful that's transpiring there. And this is our challenge because too often I know that I am guilty of this. You go through a trial and the focus is all about the outward man, all about what I'm enduring, all about the physical suffering and hardships and difficulties. And that's where our focus is. And sometimes we can completely lose sight of the reality of yet, but what is happening inwardly? What's going on in my life? Yes, all these things outwardly are hard, but what is God doing in me spiritually in the midst of all this chaos and hurt and suffering. Our trials don't just impact other people in a positive way. They also impact us in a positive way. The fourth comfort that we can have in trials is that trials are able, or sorry, our trials is that God is able to use our trials to mature us spiritually. 
Something we need to understand is there is a depth of spiritual growth that only happens in the midst of trials. There is a special kind of relationship, a special kind of appreciation that we have towards God as he takes us through trials, difficulties, hardships. You know, I found that the deepest moments of spiritual fellowship with the Lord are often in trials. Because I get to know Jesus in a way that I otherwise really would not have got to know him. When things are going great, there's not the same need for Jesus or a dependence on Jesus. But all of a sudden you encounter a trial and you recognize, I can't do it on my own. You recognize, I'm in desperate need for Jesus. And you come to him and you pray and you spend time with him far more than you do oftentimes when things are going well. And you're drawn to him because you realize your need for him. And now all of a sudden you see him in a different light. He's your comforter. He's your deliverer. He's your protector, your strengthener, your peace giver. And, and now you're, you're drawn to him and see him in a way that he's always been, but that you've missed because you haven't really gone through those difficulties and watched him draw you through that and give you all you need in it. And now all of a sudden you see him as he is and you grow through it to become more like him. Charles Spurgeon said this about the outward man that's perishing and the inward man that's being renewed. A true Christian's losses are gains in another shape. I am afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the crucible and the furnace, the bellows that have blown up the coals and the hands which has thrust me into the heat. I am sure I have derived more real benefit and permanent strength and gross and grace and every precious thing from the furnace of affliction than I have ever derived from prosperity. I bear my witness that my worst days, that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. Here is a perspective from a man who learned it in the midst of a trial. I don't think you get this perspective by reading a commentary. You get this perspective by experiencing it. But uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon understood this reality that, you know what, in the times when things were comfortable and good and easy, yeah, there was some growth. He says, yeah, I could probably fit on a penny. But the times I really grew were the times that I went through trials. The times that I really grew were in those difficult times where God did so much, where I came to the conclusion that actually my worst days of trials became my best days. Why? He doesn't look back and think, that day was so great because I suffered so much. No, that day was so great because I grew so much. Because God did so much in me because of what I experienced in that trial. So take comfort in the fact that God is able to use your trial to mature you spiritually. We say that, Lord, I want to mature spiritually. I want to be more like Jesus. Really? Yes, absolutely. Okay, here's a trial. What are you doing bringing a trial in my life, God? I don't want that trial to get rid of it. You said you want to mature spiritually, right? Well, this is part of the process. This is how you grow. And so if we truly want that, we don't run from trials. We embrace them and say, Lord, teach me. Help me grow. Show me how I can learn to be more like you in the midst of it. Well, Paul's going to share with us the fifth and final reason we can take comfort in these last verses. Verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul starts off by saying, our light affliction. Notice he says, our light affliction, including all believers. He says, as believers, the affliction that we receive in this earth is light. Now, some might read this and, you know, take some, uh, say, wait a second, Paul, your affliction might be light, but mine sure isn't. If you only knew what I was going through, if you only knew what I've had to endure, my affliction is heavy. It is not light. And I love the fact that it's Paul writing this. Because a lot of people could have written this and we would have kind of just blown it off and said, well, what did he know? He never really suffered. He doesn't know what hard trials are. So he could easily say light affliction because he never really had to deal with any difficulties. But that's not Paul. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, some of the affliction that he endured. I was in laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wickedness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I mean, this is an insane list of what a man like Paul went through. So many times he was beaten, he was whipped, he was hungry. He, you know, all these things going on, I like how he ends it. Oh, besides the other things that come upon me daily. This is just kind of the, the big stuff, but I still got all this other stuff that I got to deal with. So here's a man who realized what affliction was, what trials were. I'm pretty confident that as we look at this list and you look at your life, you would say, yeah, Paul went through more than me. Paul has suffered worse than I have, especially for the sake of the gospel. But I'm sure we would also look at this list and say, in my opinion, that is heavy, not light affliction. We don't look at that and think of light affliction. We think beaten five times by the Jews. Yeah, that's heavy affliction, imprisonment, suffering all these different ways. We don't conclude light. So why does Paul says his affliction and our affliction is light and not heavy? Well, Paul gives us two great reasons for why the affliction that we go through is really light and not heavy. And really, he's bringing out your perspective. When you see this, the perspective you have is going to determine whether you see the affliction as light or whether you see the affliction as heavy. The first reason Paul gives for why our affliction is light is because it's just for a moment. You know, when we really look at our life, the Bible says our life is but a vapor. When you compare your 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100, uh, in this life versus all of eternity, it truly is but for a moment. And even that, a lot of our trials are literally but for a moment, even in the span of our own life, where it might last for a week or a month or even a year. Some people, they have much longer ones, but when you compare it to all of eternity, It's just for a moment. It's light in comparison, a hundred years at the max for most of us, to eternity. There is no real 
comparison. The second reason Paul gives for why our affliction is light and not heavy is because God is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, this is the real reason why our affliction is light, not heavy, because of what God is accomplishing in us and through us with it. This eternal weight of glory. You might think that your suffering is bad, But compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming, compared to what God is doing through it, it's light in comparison to what God's going to do. It's if Paul's basically, he's using these terms light and heavy and weight. It's kind of him saying, go ahead and get out the scales. Put all your momentary afflictions on one side of the scale and then let me place the weight of glory that God's going to bring on the other. And you're going to see which one truly is heavy and which one is actually light. Now we kind of think, oh, our you know momentary afflictions are so heavy. But Paul's saying, hey, if you have the perspective of eternity, if you have the perspective of what God is doing, if you have the perspective of how he's working this eternal weight of glory, all of a sudden the weight of glory is far heavier than the affliction that you go through. Now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's not saying our afflictions aren't that they're easy, that they're no big deal. And when he says light, he's not saying, come on, get over it. It's not that hard. He knew how difficult things were. He went through hardships and suffering. He's not saying light in the sense of it's not hard to go through it. He's saying light in comparison to what we're going to receive because of it. A.W. Pink, a great commentator, says this about our light afflictions. Afflictions are not light in themselves. Often they are heavy and grievous, but they are light comparatively. They are light when compared with what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the suffering of the Lord Jesus, but perhaps their lightness is best seen by comparing them to the glory awaiting us. In comparison to eternity, in comparison to what's coming, in comparison to all that God is giving and blessing us with, what we have to deal with in this life is really light compared to what we're going to get for going through this life the way that we do. What you and I have awaiting us in heaven is really incomprehensible in many regards. It's so unbelievable. And Paul's just saying, keep your eyes focused on that. Recognize what's coming. Recognize the weight of glory that you're going to receive. And it will change your perspective on how you deal with trials here because you're going to see them with that comparison. And all of a sudden, yeah, it's hard, but in comparison to what's coming, it's actually kind of light. Yeah, it's difficult, but in comparison to what's coming, the weight of glory, it's actually kind of light. And that's where Paul is coming from. So we need to have this heavenly perspective to look at life with an understanding that this life is so quick and yet soon I'll be with the Lord for all eternity. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul understood something about where your focus is will really impact how you respond to your trials. If my focus is on the temporary and the physical and the suffering and the hardships and all that's going on around me in the midst of the trial, I'm not going to respond to the trial the way that God wants me to. 
But if my focus is on, you know, the unseen, not the seen right around me, but what's coming, the promise of the future, the promise of heaven, what God says is going to happen, the weight of glory that's coming, I don't see it yet, but I have faith that it's coming because God tells me it's coming. And Paul's saying, you know what, if we trust in and keep our eyes focused on what we can't see and Jesus and the future and what God promises versus what's all around us in the midst of the trial, that will be the thing that enables us to respond in a godly way. The fifth comfort that we can have in our trials, our trials are light compared to the eternal weight of glory. You know, our problem often isn't so much what we think about our light affliction. It's what we don't think or think so little of our coming weight of glory. I think that's our big problem. We don't recognize the magnitude of what's coming. We don't see what a huge reward and blessing and what God is doing. We kind of just focus on the magnitude of what we're going through and don't realize what God is doing and what he has for us for eternity is so much more. We just need to have a different perspective. A.W. Pink writes this, Should our afflictions continue throughout a whole lifetime and that lifetime be equal in duration to Methuselah's, who is the longest man ever to live at 960 something years. Yet it is momentary compared with the eternity before us. At most, our affliction is for this present life, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Oh, that God would enable us to examine our trials in their true perspective. You know, that is the prayer that I have for myself. That's a prayer that I have for you, that God would enable us to see our trials in their true perspective and what he's actually doing and what we have to look forward to for all eternity. Because so often we don't have a right perspective on our trials. And that is why we just focus on the physical and the temporal and we get so disheartened and we get, you know, we don't respond in a godly way because we see things in a ungodly perspective and an unbiblical perspective. And Paul got to a place in his life where his perspective was true and biblical, and it impacted the way in which he viewed the trials that he faced. And that is my prayer for me and for you, that we would get to that place as well, that we could see our trials with the godly perspective, with a true perspective of what is happening behind the scenes, of what is happening inwardly in you and me, spiritually, what God is doing, what the future holds in heaven if we would keep our thoughts on what we're going to receive in eternity, it would hugely impact how we respond to the trials that we face right now in the present. Pierre Renard, the great French painter, suffered from arthritis. It twisted and cramped his hand. And his friend who watched him paint and saw that he could barely hold the paintbrush with just two fingers, there was stabbing pain each time he did a movement. One day his friend asked him, why he persisted in painting at the expense of such torture. He responded, the pain passes, but the beauty remains. You know, he had his eyes on something other than his pain. He saw the finished painting. He saw what was coming. He saw the beauty that was there. And I think for us too often, we're so sidetracked by the pain we're in right now that we miss the beauty of what God has in store for us, what is coming to us, what eternity holds for us. And if we could keep that into perspective, how it would impact the way in which we respond to trials now. Or as the old great hymn says, which is, turn your eyes upon Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth 
will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So you see, trials are not a negative thing. They're not this horrible thing that you should just run from and say, God, get this out of my life. In reality, there are things that God can use positively for you and in you and through you. Someone once said, trials will either make us bitter or they will make us better. And we get to choose based on how we respond to them. And I know I've been guilty of both. I've allowed trials to get me bitter. And I've also allowed trials to get me better. But if you want to be better because of trials, then we need to put into practice the five things that Paul shares with us here. We need to remember these reasons why we can take comfort because these reasons help us to be better instead of to respond by becoming bitter. God will give you everything you need to get through it. God is able to manifest himself even more through you when we respond to trials in a godly way. God is able to use your trials to bless other believers. God is able to use your trials to mature you spiritually. And our trials are light in compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming to us. So don't get bitter while you're in a trial because trials are great opportunities. That's what it is. It's an opportunity. Am I going to use this opportunity and allow God to work for me and in me or through me? Or is this going to be something that I squander and allow myself just to get in the flesh and get selfish? And, you know, nothing good comes from that for me or for the people in my life as well. You know, Jesus is the greatest example of someone who did this. Someone who was willing to go through the trials, go through the suffering, recognizing God got him through it. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way, let us do that. But not my will, but yours. And the Father got Jesus through the greatest, most horrific suffering of all. And what an impact that made on the world. And that we would be willing to stick it out. That we would be willing to allow the Lord to get us through trials, realizing the impact it can make, but also what he can do in us and the weight of glory that's coming because of it. So the challenge for us is to keep our perspective right, to keep our perspective in the things that Paul is sharing here so that when we hit a trial, we see it in the right way. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you know firsthand you became one of us. You suffered even greater than those things that we read about Paul. You suffered more than any person ever will. You went through the most difficult trial and you did it because of your love for us. And the Father got you through every step of the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see a right, a biblical perspective on the trials that we face. It's so easy for us to get focused on the wrong things. It's so easy for us to get sidetracked because of all the hardship that we're dealing with and to miss what you're doing in us and for us and through us in the midst of it all. It's so difficult to look to the future and to have faith and believe that your word is true about what's coming. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to really focus on the things that are not seen instead of the things that are seen and are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. God, give us that perspective so that we can respond better, so that we can be more like you, so that we can see these trials as opportunities to become like Jesus Christ. 
Because we are all in great need of that growth. There's so much that we need to change in our life, Lord. We need your help to to make those changes, to make us more like you. And we know that trials are (coughs) a great, great tool for that to happen. So, Father, we just ask that you would help us. We thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. No matter what we're going through, Lord, I know that so many are still just the trial of the aftermath of the hurricane and the home and and all that's going on, Lord, that that's still difficult in our face. And we're still dealing with those things, Lord. But I pray you would change our perspective. You would help us to see what you're doing. You would help us to grow in the midst of it. And then we might look back and see the work that you've done, not only in us, but also through us. Father, we're just so grateful that you love us. We don't deserve it. You are so wonderful to us. We pray that you would just continue to help us. Help us grow to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have Colson come up and lead us in a song of worship. You know, what Jesus has done is so vital to let people know you know, only believers can respond to trials like this. Next Sunday is the third Sunday of the month. We're going to be going out and doing an outreach. And I just encourage you to come prepared to join us in that, uh, to see that as a great opportunity just to share the wonderful good news of Christ with others. But let's just take a moment uh, just to praise the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us.